Welcome to Kevin Connors Podcast. This series is on the Tabernacle of Moses, which is the topic of one of the first books that Kevin Connor wrote about. Visit kevinconnor.org for more details. Okay, well, we're in for a good time tonight and just pray that the Holy Spirit will just be upon our hearts as being prayed. All right, I'd like you to turn to a scripture. Um, oh, let's put up our little diagram here first. Um, I didn't put the overhead tonight. I thought, uh, well, what we need to do. While we're talking, just turn to Hebrews chapter 9. All right, now this uh, scripture is not on your notes, so Hebrews chapter 9 uh, for a start here. And uh, I really appreciated testimonies last week uh, that how many of you know, reading your Bible in a fresh light. Just say, wow, you know, uh, the mind of, uh, of the uh, people of God, Israel, then just saturated with these things for 1,500 years. All right, Hebrews chapter 9, and I just uh, want, to, uh, want to encourage you to put down uh, verses 1 through to 5. I'm going to read from the old authorized at the moment. Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary, for there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick, or the lampstand, probably a better translation, and the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer, and the ark of the covenant, overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna, and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant. And over, the cher- over it the cherubims of glory, shattering the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. So um, here I believe it's Paul sort of gives us a summary of everything. So as he's describing to the Hebrews who are saturated, their minds have been saturated with this for, you know, 1,500 years. So uh, we have the brazen altar, the altar of bronze, the sacrifice. Then last week we looked at the brazen laver and the washing, so the blood and the water, good old hymn, let the, they let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed. Be of sin the double cure. Save me from its guilt and power. And then over here we had the golden lampstand, and tonight we're going to look at the table of showbread, and then the altar of incense, and next week we'll look at that. So uh, taking the approach from man to God, I mean, when uh, God gave the instructions to Moses, he began with himself in the beginning, God, and he began with the ark, and then gradually moved out here. We've just uh, been taking the opposite approach just because of our, our limitation of time. So the blood, the water, and the light. And uh, now as we move into the holy place, uh, you could only understand the incense altar and minister there and come to the table of showbread in the light of the golden candlestick. This was the uh, only, only light in that place. All right, now let's go to our, our uh, notes. So Hebrews chapter 9, 1 through to 5 sort of gives a summary. Now let's go to the first thing here. Uh, 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 turn, uh, while I'm talking here, uh, turn over to Exodus chapter 25. And, uh, you know, when the Lord uh, opened this to me through different ministries uh, many, many years ago, I think it's become a very, uh, very meaningful, very uh, foundational thing in my own life because uh, coming from, uh, as I'll talk about later on, uh, different places that I've been through, I find that, you know, God put the furniture uh, in, in his tabernacle, in his sanctuary, in his dwelling place, all pointing, first of all, to the Lord Jesus Christ and then the church. But today, we have different denominations, all, uh, you know, throwing the furniture out or just getting rid of the furniture. And then I think of those uh, churches today, as I told you last week or the week before, you know, when the minister said, well, thank God I'm not saved by the blood of any man. I don't believe in the, in the blood. That's a slaughterhouse religion. So get rid of that article. And then there are denominations, sorry to say, who do not believe in water baptism. So we throw that article of furniture out. And there's denominations who don't believe in the communion. So throw that out. And so just juggling around God's furniture. And God says, just leave my furniture alone. I designed it. I had a, had a purpose in mind. And don't you throw the furniture out of the house. Replace it with something else. Thank you, Kevin. That was a real good thought. <laughs> All right, Exodus chapter 25. Let's just read this passage on the, uh, the revelation of it. Exodus 25 and verse 23. 
You shall, reading from New King James now, you shall also make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its width, and a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold and make a, a moulding of gold all around. You shall make for it a frame of handbreadth all around, and you shall make a gold moulding for the frame all around. And you shall make for it four rings of gold, and put the rings on the four corners that are at its four legs. The so number four. Uh, the rings shall be close to the frame as holders for the poles to bear the table. And you shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, that the table may be carried with them. You shall make its dishes, its pans, its pitchers, and its bowls for pouring. You shall make them of pure gold, and you sh shall uh, set the showbread uh, on the table before me always. All right, so we have those verses given there. All right, now just to remind you what we've been repeating each week, remember that each of the articles of furniture were given by uh, divine revelation, and uh, as I've constantly said, nothing was left to the mind of man or the imagination of Mo uh, Moses. Uh, everything, as we're told in Hebrews chapter 3, Moses was faithful in all his house, so in all these intricate details, how to make the furniture, and you know, I think uh, uh, when we furnish our own house, we like to have certain type of furniture, we like, if we're getting it, uh, get getting it uh, made. We like to, so I'd like the furniture to be like this. Well, this is God's furniture in God's house and he's laid out to Moses the way he wants it to be. All right, under letter B, uh, the construction, I, uh, I, I leave this uh, to you read some of the scriptures. Again, uh, it was made by the Spirit uh, and by the wisdom and the knowledge of God, by understanding, and as we saw last week, the Spirit of God came upon Bezalel and certain of the teachers and the women there, and they had wisdom and understanding uh, how to build God's furniture. How did God say to do this? Okay, he said, make it like this, with four legs, overlay it with gold, and so forth. So nothing was left, as I said, to the mind and imagination of man. And at least one, two, three, four, five, uh, at least six times in the Scriptures, I just read these scriptures that God constantly said to Moses, make everything according to the pattern showed you in the mouth. This is God's blueprint. I want you to make it according to the blueprint. And we have to ask why always, because, you know, as I said, well, why did God say, do it this way? Why make the candlestick, the lampstand this way with the ornamental knobs and everything like that? We must realize that God had something in mind. And so that's why, as I study the Word of God, I say, Lord, what did you have in mind? What are some of the things you had in mind? Why did you say, make it this way? So we have to get into the mind of God. What did God have in mind? All right, now, let's go to letter C, and uh, just a brief outline on some of the details here. And as I've encouraged you before, if you want to get the uh, fuller notes on it, it's in the book, in the bookshop, uh, the Tabernacle of Moses. Okay, number one, it's material, letter A. It was made, again, of acacia wood, uh, acacia wood. Some of the translations simply say acacia wood. It's the incorruptible wood. And as always, just repeat these, some of these thoughts again here. The wood always speaks of the humanity of Christ. And, and first of all, as we'll see, Jesus is the bread of life. He is the table of showbread. It's all, first of all, fulfilled in him. So acacia wood, speaking of Christ's incorruptible humanity... So acacia wood is spoken. Uh, uh, some of the, uh, uh, the dictionaries tell us that uh, no grub and no insect could uh, destroy the acacia wood. So it points to the in incorruptible and sinless humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. So acacia wood. And then again, letter B, it was overlaid with gold. And gold, as always, speaks of the divine nature. So overlay the divine nature. So we have two materials here, wood and gold, and gold and wood. And uh, wood always remains the wood, and gold always remains gold. And so in the one person, in this one table, we have these two types of material, wood and gold. And so in the one person of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have the, the human nature and the divine nature. The human nature never became the divine nature. Divine nature never became the human nature. There was two, yet in the one person. So uh, wood always uh, of his humanity... And then gold, speaking of his deity and the divine nature. So human nature and divine nature and the gold overlaid the wood. So the divine nature. And uh, we don't want to develop this too much, but all through the Gospels you see the divine nature of the Lord Jesus Christ coming through before Abraham was I am. And then uh, uh, your sins are forgiven. Well, who can forgive sins? Uh, only God. Well, Jesus Christ is God. And so many times they just saw the wood. They didn't see the, the gold. 
And so divine nature and human nature. All right, number two, uh, very simply again, it's pattern. Uh, I've given you, let me give you two or three scriptures. Uh, Numbers chapter 8 and verse 4. Numbers 8 and verse 4. And then Exodus 25 and verse 9. Numbers 8 verse 4, Exodus 25 verse 9, and Hebrews 8 verse 5, Hebrews 8 verse 5. So just reiterating the point, make it according to the pattern, to the blueprint that was shown to you in the mount. So it's God's blueprint uh, uh, that uh, Moses built everything according to. All right, number three, it's crowns. Now you'll notice that uh, when we come to the holy place, out in the outer court, uh, the brazen altar has horns, no crowns. But when we come to the holy place, we have uh, horns on this altar and this altar, the golden altar, and on the brazen altar. But we have crown on the Ark of the Covenant and a double crown on the table of showbread, so crowns. So the horns, speaking of the, uh, the power of the animal, but crowns, uh, here it's not, it's, not, uh, it's not horns, but crowns. Hebrews 2 verse 9, Hebrews 2 verse 9. And it tells us there that uh, Jesus was made a little lower than the angels. And uh, we see Jesus who is now crowned with honor and glory. So Jesus crowned. Uh, Man uh, crowned him with a crown of thorns, but God uh, crowned him with uh, honor and glory. Hebrews 2 and verse 9. All right, the rings and the staves, number four. Again, always uh, for the wilderness journey. Uh, running, running ahead uh, here. Uh, when they, when, when, uh, when they're in the 40 years wandering in the wilderness, all the articles of furniture were covered with certain coverings and were carried on rings and staves or staves uh, because it spoke of the wilderness journey. So the ark was the the ark of the covenant always went before them. But once you get to the temple of Solomon then we find that once the ark was put into the most holy place, into the holiest of all, then we're told that the staves were taken out of the ark of the covenant and they were just put just beneath the veil so that people could see the staves there, that the journey is over, the tabernacle stage was over, it's the temple stage, but the uh, staves were always in, in the ark of the covenant and representing the uh, being pilgrims and strangers in the wilderness journey. All right, number five, its position, uh, it, it is placed, as you, as you see in Exodus chapter 40, verse 22, 23, it's placed on the north side of the tabernacle. So the north side, the lampstand was on the south side and the tabernacle on the north side. And I uh, haven't got time to, you know, indulge too much on some of these things, but, you know, as I said, God has something in mind. So as I've studied this and listened to teaching over the years, why did you do that? So, you know, on the great day of atonement, when the priest came in here, after the sacrifice, he would take the blood and he would sprinkle the blood toward the east seven times. Then he had to go around the other side of the Ark of the Covenant and sprinkle it one time. And then uh, the, the interesting thing, you know, God said, kill the sacrifice on the north side of the altar but sprinkle the blood toward the east. So you say, oh God, what are you doing that for? Just to amuse the people of Israel in the wilderness? No, God had something in mind. Let me say one thought I believe I have. You see, sin began in the north, in heaven. When Satan said, I will ascend to the, above the clouds, I will ascend in the sides of the north, sin began at the throne of God. But when Jesus came, he came to the Middle East. And his blood was shed there. But you see, here's things that we don't realize, the, the vastness of the plan of redemption. Not only does earth have to be cleansed of sin, heaven has to be cleansed of sin. And so the blood was shed in the outer court here on earth, but Jesus takes his blood into heaven and we have a blood-sprinkled a blood throne. So you see, God doesn't do so well, kill it on the north, sprinkle it on the east. It's not for something, not for nothing. It's God has something in mind. So the position of the table was on the north side of the altar. All right, number six, it's coverings. In Numbers chapter four, I'm not taking time to read this, chapter Numbers four and verse seven through to, uh, through to eight here, we have three coverings. So when the, when the furniture, and we haven't done this on everything, but when the, when the furniture was in journey, uh, it was first of all cl- uh, covered with a cloth of blue. So blue, heavenly blue. 
cloth of blue. Then on top of that, there was a, a cloth of scarlet. So blue and then scarlet. Heavenly blue and the scarlet. And then over all of that, over those two cloths, there was the badger skins, uh, pauper skins, some say, but the badger skins, not very nice looking. So, you know, as the furniture was taken through the wilderness, people wouldn't see the, the glory of this. Uh, most everything was covered with badger skins or different cloths. And so God had something in mind, heavenly blue, sacrificial scarlet, and then the badger skins, uh, God over all. So covering in its journey. All right, number seven, its purpose. Simply put down Exodus chapter 25 and verse 30. Exodus 25 and verse 30. Uh, it was to put the, on the table the showbread, the showbread. We'll come back to that in a little while here. All right, now, under number eight, here we have the bread, and, and because I'm going to weave this into the, uh, uh, the application, I'll deal with it more fully. In Leviticus chapter 24, verses 5 to 9, God gives the details how they were to make the bread. All right, so I've just put down some of the things, the names. Uh, I think you might have enough uh, room on this. Um, there's five names I'd like to put down. And when I give you these names, remember they come from uh, Old King James or the New King James. So uh, uh, different translations may bring it out differently. All right, number one, the first thing we have here, the, uh, the names. Oh, you've got it there. Actually, it's on your, on your notes. That's good. Okay. Yeah, so number one, it was the showbread. Um, I want you to turn over just uh, by way of anticipation. We'll come back to this later. Uh, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I know it's playing on words, but uh, I think all of us realize that words are very important. Amen? All right, so, uh, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll come, uh, chapter 11, sorry, 1 Corinthians 11, and we'll come uh, back to that in a moment. But if, you, if you've got the old King James, and I think the new King James does it too. I'm not sure about some of the other translations. Just playing on a word there. So it was called the table of showbread. So showbread, uh, spelled uh, two different ways. Uh, in verse 26, Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, As often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. So I've played on those words. As often as you eat this bread, drink this cup, you do show, show bread. That's the thought. And show, the show bread is literally bread that is telling forth something. When you show something, you're declaring something. So meaning of the word show bread, it's bread that is telling forth a message, declaring something. That's, that's the thought there, number one. So it was, uh, the, the bread was the show bread, a bread that was telling forth something. All right, number two, it's also called in Leviticus chapter 21, verse 21, the bread of God, the bread of God. And uh, you just think of the miracle of this. This bread was there for uh, seven days a week, and it was miraculously preserved. And uh, in, in fact, uh, in the wilderness, the, the bread fell, the manna fell, and then there's the bread here. And then as we read from Hebrews chapter 9, there was the golden pot of manna, and you see, the miracle of, of all this to Israel was that uh, God told them they were to gather the manna, the bread, and we'll see the link up in a while here, uh, six days a week, and on the seventh day, uh, the sixth day, pardon me, they were to gather a double portion. There was no manna on the seventh day. And then when they gathered manna on the sixth day and kept it over the seventh day, uh, it bred worms and stank. So even though, though it came from God, when man kept it, it got worms in it. Because there was a freshness about the manna every day, six days a week, and on the sixth day they kept a double portion. Now, the miracle of this was the golden pot of manna was miraculously preserved from any worms in the presence of God. So there was that's just that revelation of bread, bread, so the bread of God. All right, number three, beautiful uh, expression here. It's also called the bread of his presence. So just keep those things in mind when we move more into the application. So the bread of his presence. 
And Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together uh, in my midst, uh, in my name, there I am in the midst of them, so the bread of his presence. And then, number four, it was also called the memorial bread. Think, think of the language when we come to the New Testament. Do this in remembrance of me. So memorial bread, so they were to remember. It was bread that was uh, to bring to their remembrance, so the memorial bread. And then that's Leviticus chapter 24, verse 7. Uh, one other one I want to give you that's not on your notes. Numbers chapter 4, Numbers 4 and verse 7. It was also called the continual bread. It was the bread that was continually before the Lord. So continually before the Lord. Continual bread, Numbers 4 and uh, verses se- uh, verse 7. All right, now, in the, in the making of the bread, just following your notes down here, letter B, it was made of fine flour. So think of the, uh, the process of making the bread, the fine flour. Uh, uh, put down John chapter 12 and verse 24. John 12, verse 24, Jesus speaks of himself as being as a grain of wheat. And uh, in, in, in the making of fine flour, you think of all the crushing. And fine flour speaks of his uh, perfect humanity again. Uh, you see, all of us, and every, every person in the Bible, all of us, we all have uh, some uh, rough spots in our nature. But when you've got perfectly fine flour, there's nothing rough or uncouth in it. And there was nothing, nothing rough or uncouth in the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. Fine flour that had been through the crushing. All right. Um, how many like to eat fine flour? No. If you're going to make bread, it has to be baked. Let us see. So the fine flour was baked. So we think of the fire, the suffering, the heat, and uh, everything that, went, that Jesus went through to become our bread of life. So the baking, the oven, the fire. Frankincense, we think of incense. So frankincense was put on it. We think of the prayer, the fragrance of prayer, the life of Christ in prayer, pardon me. Frankincense. (coughs) Then number, uh, letter letter, uh, E, we have 12 loaves. Now notice again the significance of the 12 in the shaft of the lampstand, there was 12 in the ornamentation here. Now opposite this 12, we have another 12 here, 12 loaves. Different uh, writers will say which way they were position, uh, positioned, but I think there were six in a row, like uh, 12 loaves. But pointing to the 12 apostles, the number, number 12 is the number of apostolic government. So 12 apostles of the Lamb. <coughs> And you might like to put uh, Revelation chapter, I think it's 21, 14 on this, 21. Let me just check that. Uh, Yes, Revelation chapter uh, uh, 21 and verse 14. On the wall of the city, the bride city, had 12 foundations, and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So with all the other apostles that were uh, manifest in the book of Acts, these 12 are unique. They are the only 12 that were with him in his earthly walk. So apostolic government, the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And then letter F, and I know I'm moving through this pretty quickly, two-tenths. Um, as I said, not, not, none of it's just there to fill up the book, but um, as I, I, you know, I've studied the word over the years, this uh, significance of the two-tenths uh, is it's, it's, it's quite a study in itself. Turn, turn, turn over to Matthew chapter 22 just for a moment, Matthew 22, then I'll come back to that. Everybody doing okay? All right, Matthew chapter 22. And uh, just hold Matthew tw- uh, 22, you can glance over it while I'm talking here. Uh, go down to verse uh, 36, or verse 35, or verse 34. Okay, so just, just somewhere in there. All right, now let's uh, look at the picture here, because uh, that's a whole study in itself. But uh, the significance of two-tenths, you'll find that each of these 12 loaves were made of two-tenths deal of fine flour. Two-twelves are 24, but the number of two-tenths. Then when the... Uh, when when uh, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, what were the Ten Commandments written on? The Ten Commandments written on 
two ta tables of stone. All right, so two tents. And you have that. God impresses these two tents in the meal offering, in the Ark of the Covenant, in the table of showbread. There's two tents, two tents. And so, why? Well, when you come to the New Testament, this would be the fulfillment. So, verse 34, Matthew 22. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they were gathered together. And then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang the ten. Oh, let's read the whole verse. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. On these two hang the ten. Now, let's just uh, do this real quickly. If you went through the Ten Commandments, they are divided into two groups. The first four commandments are man's relationship to God. Have no other gods before me. Make no graven image. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. First four commandments on the first table, we would assume, are our relationship to God. The other six commandments are our relationship to one another. Don't commit adultery, don't steal, honor your father and your mother, don't covet your neighbor's wife, and so forth and so forth. Okay, so six. Now, when you come to the New Testament, so here will be like this. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And when you break them up, one through to four, and my relationship to God, like that. And then the other six here, and my relationship to man. So when Jesus says it, he says, what are the great commandments? He said, love God, because if I love God, I won't have any other idols or gods, or will I? See? Love is the fulfilling of the law. And if I love my neighbors myself, I won't commit adultery. I won't take, uh, steal others' property. I'll honor my father and my mother. I'll, I'll keep these commandments. See? So love is the fulfilling of the law. So on these two hang all the law and the prophets. On these two hang the ten. Love is the fulfilling of the law. Go over quick. Uh, no, we haven't got time to do it. All right. Uh, keep going. Okay, two tenths. So uh, a lot of significance in the two tenths. Now, letter G, when we get to uh, New Testament application, we'll see this. They were to eat the table, be at the table of showbread every seventh day. Once a week they had the communion. Every seventh day. So God kept it fresh for six days. On the seventh day, the priests were to gather and eat, eat it. And uh, letter H, it was eaten in the holy place, not in the outer court. Outer court had its ministry. Before you could come to the table, you must come by way of the altar, the blood, and the water. Then you were qualified to eat at the Lord's table. I wonder how many you know, of God's people failed to do this when we gather for the Lord's table. They come and bypass these articles. Every time I come to the Lord's table, and I'm sure most of you do, if not all of you, say, Lord, cleanse me in the blood of Jesus, wash me in the washing of water by the word. And this is what Paul says about judging ourselves so that we don't eat and drink unworthily when we come to his table. That's it. So the priest must touch the blood and the water before they touch the table. And uh, how many eat and drink unworthily in Paul said, that's why many die. All right, uh, H.I., there was a drink offering, which was wine, but it was never drunken. It was always poured out as a, 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 a like a, a, um, uh, a libation. That's the word I'm after, a drink offering poured out. And uh, you'll notice under letter J, the Lord said, the bread is most holy, most holy. All right, so a lot of details there from the Old Testament custom and the, ta uh, and the tabernacle of Moses. Now, let's go to letter D, and this is where I want to spend uh, what, <laughs> what remainder of time we have. All right, first of all, it's applicable to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the bread of life, and uh, personally. So in, in, in John chapter 6, the great chapter there, you'll notice that the Lord brings both thoughts together. Let's go over to John chapter 6, if you've got your Bible there. John chapter 6.
And uh, let's, let's glance over, uh, over verse 22, John chapter 6, verse 22. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias, near the place where they had bread after the Lord had given thanks. And so we find as they go through, they came in uh, to him and said, How did you get here? And he said, uh, verse 26, Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were, full, for, uh, were filled. Not, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. And they said, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in whom they sent. And then they said, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe it? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives his life to the world. Then they said, Lord, uh, give us this bread always. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and you do not believe. And then as he goes on, uh, he said, uh, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. What was the end result? Many of them walked away and left him. So in verse 48, he said, I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat man in the wilderness and they are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread. And if you eat of this bread, you'll never die. And so what's their reaction in verse 52? They quarreled among themselves. And said, well, what's he talking about? Were you a bunch of cannibals? They were missing the whole thing. You see, they compared, well, Moses, he did a miracle and fed people for 40 years in the wilderness. You've only done a miracle and fed 5,000 people. What does that prove? You see, and they said, look, you're missing the whole thing. I am the bread of life. So it's a relationship, first of all, with the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the manna from heaven. Everybody can say amen. And he is the bread of the word. All right, now let's go. I'm sorry, I've got to move quickly. Number two, to Christians. Turn over now. So first of all, the, the, the table of the showbread is fulfilled personally in the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as we've said, everything points to Christ. First of all, the brazen altar points to the sacrifice of Christ. And the brazen labor points to Jesus, washing of water by the word, washing the disciples' feet, washing the church by the washing of the water by the word. Now the table points to him. So everything, first of all, points to Christ. It's all in him first. All right, now, to the church, to the Christian, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I'd like you to uh, look at uh, the first few verses here. Now, it's very important, and, and, and uh, as I was you know, preparing for this, what, what am I trying to get across tonight? I want for all of us that the, the, the Lord's table will become more meaningful to us as well as our relationship to the Lord personally, but the Lord's table. All right, so in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1, he says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, and they all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was not anointed. That rock was Christ. Now, let me just say something quickly here. When Paul is do, doing something here, it's, it's something because, you see, he's leading into the Lord's table. That's why later on he says, I speak as to wise men. Um, in fact, go to, go to that while it's in my mind. Verse, um, verse 15. I speak as to wise men. Judge you what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless... Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold Israel after the flesh, are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What am I saying then? That the idol is anything? 
or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols as anything. Now, this is what I'm saying, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that you have, uh, should have fellowship with devils. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Now, you see, unless we understand something, we won't get it. So what I'm saying here is, is Paul, first of all, spiritualizing away the miracles? When he says they ate of that spiritual meat or spiritual food, he's talking about the manna. Now, how many, like me, believe that the manna literally fell for 40 years? They had a manna burgers every day for 40 years. Amen? So, so is Paul spiritualizing away? Then it says uh, they drank of that spiritual drink. Well, as I understand, you go back to Exodus again, Exodus 15, 16, 17. Uh, it was the water that came from the rock. How many believe that Moses actually smote the rock and literal, actual water came out? About a dozen of us. It was an actual miracle. And then that rock that followed, a spiritual rock. Was it a literal rock or was it an actual rock? It was a literal, actual rock. But you see, here's the point what Paul's trying to get across. Within the literal was the spiritual. You see, bread, cup. Within the literal is the spiritual. Wish we had time to develop that. So when we eat the bread, just a literal, actual piece of bread, when we drink the cup, actual grape juice, but within the spiritual, within the literal is the spiritual. That's what Paul's trying to get across. And so because he's talking that when Israel, when they partook of the altar here, behind the literal was the spiritual, as in everything here. That's what we're going to. This We're going back to the form to, to the, try and discover the knowledge and truth that's hidden therein. So he says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You can't have the table of the Lord and the, and the table of devils. Uh, I, just, I just have to hold that. Um, go down, all right, so spiritual. So within the literal is the spiritual. Uh, let, let, me, let me say it this way. God, God uses certain things in the church, and if we don't maintain the presence of the Lord in these things, these things will become a form, an empty, powerless form. Now, how many, how many believe in the laying of hands? Okay, now is there anything in the hand or or are we laying empty hands on empty hands? (laughs) Hey, there is something in it. All right, now we just had a water baptismal service. Now I get tired and I've heard this over the years, so I'm coming on pretty strong here. You see, now there's nothing in the water. Just go down in the water, you just go down. Hey, if there's nothing in water baptism, you just go down a dry sinner and come up a wet one. You're supposed to go down and bury the old life and rise to walk in newness of life. It actually puts out your cigarette. (laughs) You see, in the beginning, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And I believe, when I used to baptize back 100 years ago, I prayed that the Spirit of God would move upon the face of the deep. So that as these people rose to walk in news of life, they had to put out their cigarettes, get rid of the old man and the old girl and the whole lot of it. And they would rise to walk in new, li- new life in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? What about anointing with oil? Is oil just, you know? No. You see, in the Bible, you find that when, when, when Samuel anointed David with oil... It says the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. In other words, the oil is the symbol of the Holy Spirit. And when, when Samuel anointed David with the oil, the oil came upon him. You see, the Holy Spirit worked with the symbol of his own being. That's what I'm telling you. So whether it's laying it of hands, it's not laying empty hands on empty heads. Now, it is in lots of places if the presence isn't there. Now, communion becomes that way. Now, please take this kindly. I know I'm preaching now, but that's all right. I used to belong to a particular demon, uh, <laughs> denomination, and uh, we didn't believe in the Lord's table. See, we got rid of the furniture, I got rid of water baptism, we didn't believe in that, didn't believe in that, uh, oh, we still believed in that, we just tossed some of the furniture out. And so, when I came into a, foolish gospel, a full gospel church, 
Pentecostal church. It used to bug my little head because, see, I came from a particular uh, group that we didn't believe in the Lord's Day. I didn't believe in water baptism. I was what I call an unbelieving believer. And then when I came to this Pentecostal church, we'd have a communion every Sunday morning. And then um, the minister would get up and say, now we're coming to the Lord's table now. Nothing in the bread, nothing in the cup. Let's look away to Jesus. And my poor little mind, just being a dumb-dumb, you know, I used to think, okay, now I come from this place where we don't believe in the Lord's table. Now I come to a Pentecostal church where we do believe in the Lord's table. And the minister says, Sunday after Sunday, nothing in the bread, nothing in the cup. And I think, oh God, may I get nothing out of this nothing? Will you bless this nothing to me? And you see, that's why lots of people get nothing out of the Lord's table. If there's nothing in it, you're wasting your time having it. That's what I'm saying. And you see any of these things, water baptism, laying of hands, anointing with oil, God has set these things in the church. But you see, the secret of it all is the presence, the bread of his presence, the Holy Spirit working it. And when the Holy Spirit withdraws, we carry on the bells and smells and incense and nonsense and go through the whole jazz. Nothing happens because the presence isn't there. How many hear what I'm saying? And that's why I think we need to, particularly if you have communion in your cell meetings, which you're supposed to. All right. How, how, how many have been healed as you've taken of the communion at times? I remember when my little daughter, Sharon, who was just here a while back, uh, she was uh, about six or seven, and uh, I'd been preaching on divine healing and divine health for quite a few Sundays. And how many of you know you get tested on what you preach? Anyway, so she got real sick and we couldn't change her, what do we call it here, nappy, diaper? I mean, they asked me when I went to America, do you want a nappy, napkin, Kevin? I said, not at my age, you know. <laughs> so they had to explain it to me, okay. So we, we couldn't lift a leg, she'd scream and had to pull the light down, the, the shade down, the light would hurt her eyes and I thought, oh, I'm going to give up and go to the doctor. I didn't want to do that after preaching up divine healing, divine health. And then a brother came up from Melbourne. I was pastoring a small church in Bendigo at the time. And he said, uh, I said, oh, would you pray for Sharon? She's just as sick as sick. And uh, we just can't. She screams in agony. So he started to pray for her in the middle of it. He said, oh, have you given a communion? I said, oh, you know, she, she's not a theologian. She doesn't understand the Lord's table. And uh, she's only six or seven. He said, I believe you should give a communion. So we gave her communion, she dropped off to sleep, and in the morning she woke up, Daddy, Daddy, I'm healed, I'm better, I'm better. Just a miracle. Now you see, it wasn't the theology. You see, when, the, when, when, when they came out of Egypt with the Passover lamb, everybody was full of lamb. The children. As long as you parents take responsibility for your children, if they take communion, so they don't fool around. And she was miraculously healed. And testimony, testimony could be given to people because there's something in them. Now, listen to it. Go, we'll have to sort of wrap up on this. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So we've had chapter 10 a little bit. Chapter 11. And just a few thoughts. We're looking at the table of showbread, the bread of his presence, the breaking of bread, spiritual meat, spiritual drink. So verse 23, For I have received of the Lord. Now notice this. He didn't say, I received of Peter, James, or John, or any of the twelve. There was something about the table of showbread, let's call it the Lord's table, that the Lord Jesus, years later, gave to the Apostle Paul. And this was Paul's revelation of the table, of showbread. So I have received of the Lord, not Peter, James, or John, none of the twelve. I received it of the Lord. That which I delivered to you. You can't deliver something unless you've received it. That the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. So the memorial bread, the bread of his presence. After the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the new covenant, the new testament in my blood. So, you know, when you eat the table uh, of the Lord, drink the cup. Uh, it's a new testament in my blood, the new covenant. Th this do as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Now, my argument here, and people disagree agreeably, they, if, un if under the old covenant they had the table of showbread once a week, every seventh day, in the New Testament, Acts 20, verse 8, is it on your notes there? Acts 20, verse 8. On the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, 
So I found this in uh, USA that many churches don't have the table of the Lord once every six months, once every three months, and once a year. So it becomes a form. I said, well, do you, do you sing every meeting? Yes. Can't that become a form? Do you take up an offering every meeting? Yes. There's money in it. Oh, I said, can't that become a form? Anything can become a form if the presence isn't there. That's what I'm talking about. Making room for the Holy Spirit. How many can say amen? amen? So he says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, there's something distinct about this bread and this cup. You do show, you're telling forth, you're proclaiming the Lord's death till you come. Just one brief thought on that, so much on this. Uh, the, the, the Lord's Supper is like a, a, a triple look. It's a, it's a backward look. You're showing the Lord's death. So Passover Supper. And then it's a, uh, the Lord's Supper now. But it points to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So the Passover Supper pointed to the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper points to the marriage supper. Because Jesus said, I'll not eat and drink with this with you again till I do it in the kingdom. I'm looking forward to the greatest communion service the world's ever experienced when we are gathered at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And the Lamb himself will provide, preside over that table. Hallelujah. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. And how sad this was. When Jesus instituted the table of showbread in the church, the Lord's table, the communion, one of the twelve... became the first one who is guilty of the body and blood of the Lord, Judas. He partook of the Lord's table, had his feet washed at the laver. Now he goes out and sells Christ for money he never lived to spend. So, you know, it's a very serious thing when we partake of the table, members one of another, it's a covenant table, relationship, not to become guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, not the guy next to you or the girl next to you, examine himself, personal, personable, personal. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eats and drinks unworthily, eats and drinks judgment or damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Now, let me say something here. Uh, uh, there were there various, various churches that... Uh, Partake of the communion, but do not discern the Lord's body. The body of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, his blood is shed for our sins and his body is broken for us. Uh, they don't discern that. But you, if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 as well, you know what Paul says? And this is what it really means to discern the Lord's body. You and I are members of the body of Christ. So when I fail to receive my brother or my sister and do not discern that body of Christ membership relationship, I fail to discern. When I'm jealous or criticized or whatever the case may be, I fail. So we can fail to discern the Lord's body in the table, but we can fail to discern the Lord's body in the church. How many hear what I'm saying here? And you see, that's an aspect that many Pentecostal churches have failed in, and uh, I believe that's one of the reasons. And all right, let's finish on this. For this cause, don't blame the devil. <laughs> he, I mean, I'm sure the devil sits on the gutter outside the church many times, weeping because the Christians inside blame him for everything. For this cause, what cause? Not discerning the Lord's body. Many are weak and sickly among you, many sleep. For if we were judged ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord so that we won't be condemned with the world. So forth. Now, Three words there, and then we'll wrap up on this, so much more. Uh, for failure to discern the Lord's body, many are weak. Weakness. What's the opposite to weakness? All right. Many are sickly. What's the opposite to sickness? Health. And many die prematurely. What's the opposite to death? So if we really discern the Lord's body, do you know what we should get out of the table? Strength and health and life. Amen? That's what it... Otherwise, it's just going through an empty form. All right, our time's just about up. So to the church corporately, I hope you've got something out of this. I know. Oh, to the church corporately. So 
in the early church on the day of Pentecost, 3,000, they continued in the apostles' doctrine and breaking of bread. And then in the communion, there's spiritual meat and spiritual drink. Beyond the, 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 the bread and the cup, there's spiritual meat, spiritual drink. That's what we're after. Hidden manna, to him that overcomes, I'll give hidden manna. Hidden manna. Oh, I wish I had time on the miracle of 5,000. Um. Oh, no. Yeah, I'm trying to stick to schedule. Uh, just, just listen to this and put it in your seed bag, pick it up. When, when, you know, because I think the Bible is inspired, when Jesus fed the 5,000, do you know what he did? He had them, when you go through the Gospels, he had them sit in rows 100 by 50. Then we have the Lord Jesus Christ, and he uses the same word. He took it, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it. Same words that happened when he set up the table. He took it, blessed it, broke and gave it. So here's Christ the head. Then he gives it to the twelve. And, 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 and what a tremendous miracle is there, giving out the bread. It just keeps multiplying. Everybody was fed out of brokenness. Broken bread, broken bread. And then they had five loaves, two fish, and then when they picked it up, there were 12 baskets. Now, I know you're not going to get all this, but the measurements of the outer court were 100 by 50. When you multiply 100 by 50, it gives you 5,000. And how many people were fed in the first miracle? 5,000. You have the 12 apostles. God has set in the church five ministries and two supportive ministries and 12 baskets pointing to the last day, 12. It's just as God, as God looked down from heaven, he saw a whole, whole miracle thing in that feeding of the 5,000. You prepare a table before me, new covenant table, table of all the body and blood, discerning his body. Wow. We hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. Visit kevinconnor.org for more information.